are in a series called Sent, the Acts of Christians that Changed the World. It's a study in the book of Acts. And what we've seen so far up to this point as we come to the end of chapter 4 today is that they've lived by the Spirit in the present reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and appeared to all of them and commissioned them to go about his work. In chapter 2, they gathered together, worshipped together, prayed together, shared all their possessions together that so that no one was left poor or destitute. Even after the arrest of Peter and John, when they start to be persecuted, Luke makes a point here saying that the now 5,000 households that have believed in Jerusalem are following Jesus kept doing all of those things, praying, worshiping, sharing their possessions together. And at the end of chapter 4 and into the beginning of chapter 5, we are given two stories, two stories that show us how people either live selflessly and give generously or live selfishly and dishonestly. And we will look at the first of those stories today and the second next week. So, if you would, follow along with me. I'm going to read from the Word of God here from the letter of Acts, chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. It will also be on the screen. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the Word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need." Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray that you will use it to pierce us, that is, to go into our hearts, to sit deep within us, to convict us, and to shape our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a loud suction noise in the microphone, isn't it? Won't do that again. Okay. There was a volunteer high school youth leader who got a brand new red sports car. And all the students were like, that is awesome. That's a great car. And one time during youth group, some of the students needed a car to borrow to, for something they were going to do. And they began asking other students, like, hey, can I borrow your car? And like, well, I need it. And this youth leader overheard them talking, and she said, well, you can take my car. And they looked at her and said, are, are you sure? Like, this, it's a new car. You're, it's your car, and it's brand new. You said, oh, it's not my car, it's God's car. If you need it, you can use it. And so she let them borrow her brand new car for this thing that they wanted to do. I want you to note two things about this. 
First is her attitude of generosity, knowing that everything she has comes from God. So it's not hers in the end anyways, it's God's car. And second, I want you to know how formative it was for the students. I was one of them. I didn't ask to borrow the car, but I remember it. The Christians that we just read about in the book of Acts shared things generously with one another. Some of them had great means, abundance. They were selling possessions to give things away. Others didn't have that. Things may have been much more scarce for them, but yet they were still giving so that people's needs were being met. I tend to often function from a mindset of scarcity. A mindset of scarcity that that in my mind I think of and I'm like, well, there's just not much stuff. I just, you know, I I view material possessions as hard to come by or maybe inflation's going up or the economy stuff or whatever I want to say it is. And I tend to operate out of a mindset of scarcity rather than abundance. But God is an abundant God. And when I operate from a mindset of scarcity, one of the things that I am saying is I don't believe right now that God is blessing me. And that's a challenging thought for me to think about. But when I function from an abundance mindset, then I view God as gracious and blessing me. And I become more generous as a person. And what I want to propose to you today that I think we see these early Christians doing is this. That God wants him to trust us. I mean, wants, yes, he wants us to trust him in all aspects of life, including what it means to live generously and give generously. Now, we've just read what they did and what they shared, and the truth is, I don't think it's difficult to understand, but I do think it's extremely difficult to put in practice. And so, I want to talk to you with three points today. And the the first point is this. The first is, I want to challenge you to examine the principle of tithes and offerings with me. The second is, I want to challenge you to explore your heart. And then I want to, thirdly, challenge you to exercise generosity. That is, to put it into practice. And I'm going to ask you a bold thing. To not turn me off right now. To not go, I don't don't want to hear this. Can I get out the door? Is there coffee out there? Maybe I can go find some of that. Um, This is what the people are doing in Acts. So hang in there with me. So first, let me challenge you to examine the principle of tithes and offerings. The tithe, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were instructed to give a tithe, which means a tenth, of their possessions to God, okay? And they did that and gave to the temple and to the priest and so that things could continue there. And then they would give offerings, special offerings, different times a year that were over and above that tithe. Scholars have done research and added up because there's actually a couple different tithes that happen each year and then some like every third year in the Old Testament, and then different offerings. And when scholars look at all those things and add up, they actually say that probably they annually gave about 23% of their their material possessions away. Like 23%, that's a lot. We see that um, the, the tithing is instructed, it's done by Abraham, it's instructed by Moses in Deuteronomy 12, 14, and 26. The prophets speak about it. Malachi talks about it actually most... Um, strikingly, in fact, I think we have a verse, Malachi 3.8. This is probably the most striking verse from the prophets, if we can put that on the screen. God speaking through the prophet Malachi says, Will a mere mortal rob God? 
yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And the prophet's going on and saying, you're not giving to God. You've lost your generosity. And you're stealing from God in doing that, is what the, what the prophet is saying. Furthermore, every seventh year in the Old Testament was a sabbatical year. And in a sabbatical year, if you had lent money to anybody and they were paying it back, in the seventh year, you had to forgive the debt. They didn't have to pay the rest back. It was over. It's another way that they were taught to be generous. Like, everything we have is for the good of the people. Um, and servants who were, who were under contracts, under obligation, could be freed from those. They could continue in it if they wanted to, but they could leave and go elsewhere if they wanted to. And so tithes and offerings in the Old Testament with Israel were the way in which God had them set up so that everybody in the nation would be cared for, so that there wouldn't be poor, so that everybody would be taken care of. Now, we do not live in the nation of Israel. We are not a theocracy. That is a nation governed by God. So we can't just take everything that God did with Israel and say that's automatically what we should do now. However, what's interesting is that even in the, in the New Testament, when, when, nation, when Israel is no longer a nation at the status that they had, they're under Roman rule, and in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, we still see the presence of tithes and offerings being done. For instance, in Matthew 23, 23, I think we have this slide as well. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, leaders of the Jewish people. And he's saying, woe, woe to you. This is like strong warning. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he calls them a hypocrite because he says, you do give a tenth. Even of your tiniest things, your spices like mint and dill and cumin. But you neglected the more important matters of the law justice for people, mercy, and faithfulness. Right? So he's like, you hypocrites. But notice what he says. He says, you should have practiced the latter, that is justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, the tithing. In other words, he doesn't say the tithing doesn't matter, or that giving doesn't matter. He's saying it still matters. Furthermore, Paul goes on in Corinthians. I'm not going to show you this verse, but you can look in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And Paul exhorts the Corinthians to give like the Macedonians did, who, even though they were poor, it it welled up in rich generosity toward um, those who were in need, and they gave out of their poverty generously. So that's really short to just say the Bible does talk about giving, and giving away a significant portion of income, a tenth or more, right? And it does so because what God is trying to teach is that his people— know that what they have is not their own, that everything they have comes from God, and they should be generous people because God is a generous God. Now, for some of us, that might mean that giving 10% might be the ceiling. It might be that's all you can do with what you have. Now, now think of this for a second, too, with me. These this teaching, these, these, this instruction from Scripture isn't just to Americans, right? It's to Jewish people. It's to Christian people. It's to Christian people whether they live in Nairobi, Kenya, in the slums, or whether they live in New York City or Sydney, Australia, or Beijing. doesn't matter where they live. They are to be generous people and known for that. And so 10% might be a ceiling. 
But for others, 10% might be the floor, might be the baseline of what generosity looks like for you. I have uh, two friends who are in donor development work for Christian organizations, and they teach them to raise money. And, um, and they also, because they're smart businessmen, make a good amount of money, too, with that and other side businesses that they do and have. And I was with them this year, and they were talking, and, and they were talking openly about the money that they make, which is very weird, by the way, among men. I've never heard that talked about before. But they were talking about it as a way to encourage one another because every year they try to increase their giving. Their goal is to give more and more away all the time. And so they just talk about it because they're business partners together and say, yeah, this is what we think we're going to do this year. We're going to give this much away. And I was like, "Um, wow. I don't hear people talk that way. But it struck me as I was reading this passage that that's what they're doing. They're like, we need to share with God's people and we see all kinds of need around us. How can we help? We've been blessed. We've got the means to do it. We're going to give more than 10%. I was just encouraged by that. So I'm challenging you to examine the principles of tithes and offerings. It's in the Bible. God tells us to be generous people. You're like, ouch, that hurts, right? The second point I want to talk to you about is this. I want to challenge you to explore your heart. Have you heard the gospel according to Captain Jack Sparrow of Pirates of the Caribbean? It's fantastic. The movie, you know, back in the day. It's old now. There's a scene in which Captain Jack is taken by a British officer and he's, he's got a pistol with one shot in it and a compass that doesn't even point true north. Later scene, Jack Sparrow has his compass in his hand And he's asked about that, and he says, this compass isn't designed to point true north. It is designed to point to what you most want in this world. And what did Captain Jack Sparrow most want in this world? He desired adventure, wealth, freedom to sail the seas, and to not be under a curse. The gospel according to Jesus is, You are not under a curse. You have been freed from death. You are called to live selflessly and give generously. Which I wonder if this is why Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Let's put this verse on the screen. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is doing is he's giving you a pirate treasure map. And he's saying, X marks the spot. Look at where your money goes, and it will show you what your heart is drawn toward. Right? And, well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, it's obviously true, isn't it? It's not like Jesus is revealing something that's like, oh, we never thought of that. But he's saying it's true because it's the way the human heart works. And what is money except for a way to value something? If you're going to the store to get a cup of coffee, depends which store you're going to, but there's a value assigned to it. It can be dollars worth of difference depending on the store, but there's value assigned to it, right? Because that's what money does. It shows value. And so if you look at your money, you're going to see what you value because you have to value things and buy them. And you need things. You need food to eat. You need shelter over your head, right? There's things you need. But that's what money does. It shows you what you value. It's literally what you're putting the value you have toward. 
And so we might desire Starbucks a lot. We might desire new cars. We might desire more hunting gear or more sports things we want to go see or concerts we want to attend. Um, and those are all things that we put value on. And so I'm asking, just, just exp- if you want the challenge, explore your own heart. Be honest and just look. Look at your budget and go, where does my money go? And if 10% seems like an impossible thing to you, like there's no way I could give 10%, then consider this question. If your only choice today, right now, was you have no job and the economy's tanking, and it doesn't look like you could get another job, or your boss says you can stay here, but you've got to take a 10% pay cut. Would you stay and take the pay cut? Probably. Would it hurt? Yeah, you'd have to go back and look at your budget and go, what do I value? And you'd probably make adjustments and have to live a little differently. Like tighten the belt, as the old saying goes, right? Which begs the question then, for all of us. When God asks for a tenth, is it that we can't or that we don't want to? That we don't value that enough? Please understand, as I ask you this, it's not just for you, it's for me too, and that generosity is a key indicator of spiritual health. Why is this? Because generosity is shaped by your view of Jesus. Think about Jesus. Is Jesus stingy? Does he not give you the things? Does he not love you well? Is he not kind or merciful to you? Or is Jesus generous? Does he overflow with kindness and grace and love toward you? Right? If you view it that way, then it tends to be going that way to others. Think of your possessions and ask this question. Do my possessions control me or do I control them? And if all those possessions are dictating the way you live your life and you're always enslaved to trying to keep them up or stay with them or whatever, then maybe they control you. Let me move on to the third point, final thing. You guys can quit squirming in your seats that way. Actually, you'll probably squirm a little more. And I will too. The third one is this. The challenge to exercise generosity. That is to actually put it in practice. Not just to know, okay, well the Bible says we should be generous. And yes, it's a matter of my heart. Which, okay, stop. Um, But now I've got to put it into practice. You see, generosity isn't just a thing about money. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of saying, okay God, I'm yours. Use me. I surrender. Do with me what you will. It's a lifestyle in that way. It impacts how you give of your time, your talents, your treasure, how you give of friendships. Yes, and how you give of your money. The allure of the American dream, the allure of Midlotopia is powerful and strong. It's a way of life that says it's all about what you want, what you can get, and what status you can have so that you can enjoy life the most. And I am not saying that enjoying life is bad. And then you might also give a little money back. People in Jerusalem weren't entirely different. Jerusalem was a city. There was people of means. I mean, this is why this guy's coming and he's selling a field. Others were selling houses, saying, I got another house. I'll sell this one and donate. Like, people had status. 
People had means. They had money. It wasn't as if they were all living in the gutters on the streets. They had money. It was not dissimilar in some ways to us. The test isn't whether or not you have money or whether or not you make more than others. The test is whether you're going to be a Scrooge or you're going to live as a generous person. So how will you use your social capital? Not your money, your, your status, what, your, your ability, your time, your ability to be a friend. What friendships will you develop and invest in to encourage others in body and soul? How will you encourage others physically in life to live in such ways that are healthy? Socially, to be in a network of people that will care about them. Mentally, to be strong. Spiritually, to be healthy. How will you do that? How will you use your money? If you've not been giving to the work of the church, then I want to ask you, will you start giving? Will, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to start giving. And, and probably most of you have been giving, and that's great. Thank you. But we all start somewhere, right? I remember when I started giving, I'm like, okay, wow. And you may be thinking, this is convenient for the preacher who stands up there and collects a paycheck from the giving to be asking people for money. Fair enough. But I'm also not exempt from it. I see the verses, verse 36 and verse 37. Let's put those on the screen again. Joseph, a, what does that say? Levite. Now, you may or may not know your Bible very well. Do you know what Levites were, who they were? You have to think back to the Old Testament. There were sons of, 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 of right of Isaac, the, the 12 tribes. One of the 12 tribes was the tribe of Levi. And that tribe did not get a land inheritance when they came into the land of Jerusalem. And there was a specific reason for that. Because they were the ones that were to depend on the offerings that came into the temple to provide for their needs. They were the priestly tribe. And here's a Levite of the priestly tribe coming and selling land that he owned in Cyprus. (laughs) That's an island in the Mediterranean, people. Like, this guy had some means, okay? That's where he's from. He's like, all right, I'll sell it. I'm giving money. I'm not exempt from this just because I stand up here. I'm not just preaching this to you. It's preaching to me, too. I increased my giving this year, and in all honesty, it's because I had decreased it previously. There were things I just thought I needed it for. Whether I did or not is, I guess, up to God and me and my wife and maybe others too, I don't know. But we did increase our giving this year. And, I, and, and the reason I'm telling you this is for this reason. Because I swear to you, the month in which we started increasing the giving, I had two cars that are conking out. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The time when I say, okay, I'm giving more, I got two cars that are like, beep, 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 beep. beep. So, and they didn't literally die, but the signs were there. It was like, it's going to be major repairs that I don't have the cash for. What do we do? So we sold one of the cars we had because I was in the dealer one day and they were like, you want to know what your car's worth? I'm like, it's getting repaired. I'm paying you money. Tell me what it's worth. And I was like, seriously? So I sold it enough to pay that off 
We bought a, a, a newer car that was about the same payment and saving some of that money for the other car as it's clunking toward death so that I'll be able to replace that one, hopefully, with another older car. Now, all that just to tell you this, that generosity is a battle of the heart and it is one that Satan knows of too. And he will tempt you and say, no, there's, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't, don't do that. You don't need it or they don't need it or it's not worth it or whatever. But God provides. We're still generously giving more than we did before. And the car keeps running for now. It's not easy. It's certainly not magical. It is sacrificial. But that's what giving is, right? And, and I want to talk to parents and kids right now for a moment. So kids, like you're probably drawing something right now. I, I want to encourage you kids, all the kids, right? Just, I want you guys to learn to be generous because you're the next generation growing up and you will have jobs and you will come this time like, what am I going to do with my money? And so I have a question. Do you guys get allowance? Does anybody get an allowance or do you chores and get money for it? If not, go ask your parents. Sorry, parents. When my kids were little, we gave them an allowance, but they had to do chores for it. And so they got an allowance, and it was not much, trust me. But one of the things we decided to do early on was to teach them about giving is we put jars on their dressers. And there was a jar that said giving, giving to God, a jar that said saving, and then everything else they could spend. And we made them put 10% in their giving jar and save some, and then they could spend the rest. Because we were just trying to teach a habit of like, you know what? What you have is not yours alone and you're meant to be generous with it. And so kids, if you do get an allowance, I want to encourage you to think, okay, what do I give? And, and, and by the way, I want you to know that I've heard stories because I've seen letters of kids saying, here's my allowance. And they've mailed it into the church and written notes to the church. I cry when I see those. And so it's not that none of them are doing it. But I want to encourage you to do it. And parents, train your kids to do it. Luke tells us here in the book of Acts, Luke is is the author. He tells us of Joseph, this Levite. And did you notice too, can we put verses 36 and 37 back on the screen? So Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means... Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Why is it that Luke is telling us about how the Christians live, they pray together, worship together, keep telling people boldly about the resurrection of Jesus and sharing everything they have as need, right? I mean, it's not that they were communists. That's not what it's saying, but they just gave generously when it was needed. Why is it that Luke is telling us about that? And then introducing the character who does sell property, but gives us that his name is the one, the son of encouragement. Now, there's lots of reasons for that that we would see going through Acts. But at least right now, one of the things that Luke is trying to say is that what Barnabas did was an encouragement to others. His generosity was an encouragement to the people. He's introducing in that way. And so I want to end by just encouraging you. And saying thank you for giving generously to the work of the church. And I want to share that in a couple different ways. 
and I've got permission to share these. So one of them is Ellen Luckadoo, who is at our church, and you probably know her, and she volunteers with an organization called the Crossover Clinic, and we had been collecting supplies and donations for them, and she told me this week to tell you thank you because she was overwhelmed by the supplies that showed up that were being donated to Crossover Clinic to meet the needs of people there. She was super encouraged, deeply moved by it. I said, can I tell people? And she said, please do. I didn't know how to thank them. Your generosity shows value to her ministry and what she is doing and serving the people there. And it's an encouragement that keeps her going. Your sons and daughters of encouragement. Another thing I want to tell you is that at the end of our fiscal year, which ended on June 30th, we had a revenue surplus. We had a congregational meeting and told all of our members about that. And because our expenses during COVID were way down, because we didn't do very much in terms of programming stuff, and we had income that was good, we had a revenue surplus. Some of the comments during the congregational meeting were, it would be great if we could use some of that revenue surplus toward missions. And I want you to know that your officers, your deacons and elders, have the same heart to be generous and give money toward those kinds of things. And so that revenue surplus was wisely used to use some for repairs that we know and have to plan on for a building like this, like your house, that you've got to replace things on, right? But I want you to know that a, a large amount of it, over $47,000 of it, was given away. It was allocated to be given away to different needs. For example... Over half of that 47 was given to local ministries such as STEP, an organization we support, Strategies to Elevate People that Ministers to Kids and Families in Gilpin Court. Another one, the Real Life Foundation that Dr. Sarah Scarborough runs that has opened their 11th house and has over 100 beds for people now coming out of our jails to help them learn to re-enter into society. Young Life a campus ministry called Reformed University Fellowship that meets at VCU, and the Chesterfield Food Bank. All of those things were supported by that. And then the missions committee was given the rest of it to allocate to missions and church planting here and overseas. And I want to read to you one response as our missions committee notified people of money they were receiving. This is a response that just came in this weekend, and that's why it hit me, and so I'm going to read this one. It was from, actually, Matt Bachknight in Young Life. This is his email. This is amazing, double exclamation point. I don't even know what to say, but thank you, thank you, thank you, double exclamation point. Woohoo! double exclamation point. This, he says, has been and probably will be an even more challenging year for us than last year was. And this is such a reminder that God and this community are with us. It was an encouragement that God is with us. Do you see what your generosity does? It assigns value and says, God is with you because I'm thinking about you because I care about you because we give and share things together when you give generously it shows that value is that not what God the Father did generously gave Jesus to you and to me to say I value you I give you my son 
whom I love? Because you're worth it. Because I love you. So, thank you for enduring and listening, and let's keep developing a culture of generosity in this church and in our community and in our city. Will you join the movement? Will you give of your time and your talents and your treasure? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to take these words to heart because they're not easy words to hear. And Jesus, will you help us to know that we as your people are valued by you? And will you turn us into deeply generous people? Generous people who love to help others and to give. That a community would be known by the people who serve others, who love others, who befriend others, and who give generously to support your church and the ministries that extend out into the community. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.